What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I'm Connor O'Gara. Will, did you just take out gum? Did you just have gum? Why are you trying to expose me? I was trying to not be chewing gum smack into the microphone. You know, I'm trying to be as visually pleasing as I can be this, this fine morning. Chewing gum while recording a podcast would be a first. I don't mm-hmm. know that I've ever attempted to do like the eating while recording a podcast. I mean, it is we're recording this on Sunday morning, you know, every once in a while you get in a situation where like we'll be wolfing down food or something. I think last time, right as we were coming on, I was having mm-hmm. apples and peanut butter because I'm just like a six year old and I need to have my snack, but mm-hmm. chewing gum while recording a podcast, I'm not going to say that this slate was worthy of that. It was not the most the most entertaining slate from start to finish. We'll say that. There are no bad Saturdays. Mm-hmm. We don't do bad Saturdays. But I would say that there were a couple of games where if you just sat there and chewed gum the entire time and didn't really care, um, I don't necessarily blame you. You're in Austin right now. Mm-hmm. How was your Saturday? Amazing. So long-time listeners will remember I was here a month and some change ago, and I realized that the bar I was going to was a Kansas bar. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I had an incredible Saturday with those fine people. I was having the best. I was the most rock chalk dude because I don't have any thoughts about them. I'm, LSU's not doesn't doesn't play basketball for real. I was in there chest bumping them because I just want everybody to lose. So I was Captain Chaos. I was hanging out with these Jayhawk fans. They gave me stickers. It was a great time. On a Saturday in which the only big significant upset was Oklahoma losing to Kansas, you were surrounded by Kansas fans in Austin. That actually mm-hmm. is kind of that's that's kind of ideal given given what the slate was. Literally, the vibes were so immaculate, man. And like and then Texas kicked off and so those guys walked in and started rooting against Oklahoma. <laughs> so it was like one bar, one heartbeat. It was incredible. Unbelievable. Well, that sounds great. That sounds very entertaining. Uh we're going to mm-hmm. run through all the games. We're going to do a little bit of playoff ranking prediction in ya or nah. Wherein I'm, pro- I think I'm just going to go through the top five, maybe top six. If you've watched ESPN at any point in the last week, you've seen everybody's got to have their their four that are in, and then their next two that are out. So maybe we'll do six just to to keep on par uh, with that. But don't think I will have Oklahoma in that group. A team I will have in that group, the Georgia mm-hmm. Bulldogs. Will my goodness? Why is that, Connor? Uh, Did they do anything like impressive lately? I feel like their their schedule is not very good. So you you still got number one. Uh, still have them. Still, I would still have no problem with Georgia at number one. Um, my gosh, this was a a beatdown, a beatdown mm-hmm. that neither of us saw coming. Hand up. This was yep. the Georgia flex game, even more so than Kentucky. Because honestly, I and I realized that that Kentucky dominated Florida, but I, I think that Florida was doing some things better than Kentucky was coming into that one. So I give. Georgia a lot of credit for for coming out well you know um how in the dark night Lucius Lucius Morgan Freeman's character there we go yep yeah I I butchered that pronunciation he at the end of the movie spoiler alert it's been out for 15 years so I don't really care he gets access to all the cell phones in Gotham to essentially use as like this Gotham wide surveillance system right like he wants to Mm -hmm. track down the Joker He's trying to look out for the people. Yeah, you get it. I would have loved to have had something like that just for after the first touchdown that Florida scored in Jacksonville on Saturday. If I could have had that, the entire mm. stadium. I, I, I want 
reactions to each individual fan that experienced that from both sides because the fear that Georgia fans could have had mixed with the confidence that Florida fans would have been off the charts incredible. And I'll be honest, like, you know, I've got Florida fans in my life. I've got Georgia fans in my life. But seeing the reaction that all of those people could have had after how good Florida looked that opening drive where, man, they marched right down the field. That was a Josh Heupel opening drive, if you ask Oh, me. yeah. I mean, Trey Wilson looked unguardable. It, it was like they're just going to dial up looks to this guy all day. True freshman having a moment. He finishes the game with a true freshman record for Florida in terms of catches, 11 catches, but four catches for six for 62 yards, that opening drive, and, and it's looking like Florida's in such a great place. That was the first time having an opening drive touchdown in Jacksonville since the Tebow era, which is crazy to think about. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. That, that has just not been something that Florida has been able to, to do against Georgia, and obviously some great defenses in that stretch, some also not so great defenses. I don't know how overconfident Florida fans were in that moment, but to think of how quickly things turned and how fast that game felt over, that was the the counterpunch knockout that we've kind of been waiting to see from Georgia within a game, within a first half to say, no, 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 no. This isn't necessarily how this is going to go today. The Kentucky game it felt like Georgia from the jump was at a different level than Kentucky. This was kind of like, okay, that's your best. We're going to adjust mid game and then just totally shut you, shut you down. 36 consecutive points scored by Georgia without Brock Bowers. They reminded us, Hey guys, this is why we haven't lost a regular season game in three years. This is why since that last cocktail party, that we lost back in 2020, we've gone 40 and one since then. It's crazy. It's so unbelievable to watch this team not panic. 25 consecutive wins, fourth longest streak in SEC history. They can tie the Bama 2015-2016 streak if they are able to beat Mizzou next week. It's just unreal. And you know, to think about where these programs have gone since that 2020 game. And it looks like Dan Mullen is is finally getting up to Kirby's level and he's got the talent, mm-hmm. the, the talent plus the scheme and Florida's going to do great things now and it's going to be this great back and forth rivalry. No, still not there. And instead, hold on really quick. So you're telling me they scored now. Remember, I went to art school, so you might have checked my math. They scored nine more points in a row than Alabama did against Tennessee because Tennessee had 27. And they had 36. And as wild and impressive as Alabama felt doing that to Tennessee. Georgia just did more to uh, a team that whooped Tennessee. <laughs> yes, that is that is true. Yes, your your math is is one hundred percent correct. To, to to have that kind of run within a game, uh, it's just not an easy thing to do. It, it's just not. And and you've seen teams at the top who have really struggled to keep their foot on the gas at, at different moments this season. And Georgia is one of those teams for sure. But to 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 watch this all kind of play out and the way that they dominated in all three phases too, just like how Bama dominated Tennessee in all three phases in the second half, special teams included with the block punt. But man, like I kept thinking about how, how stark it is to see the difference of where these programs are at. You had Kirby afterwards feel so good that he's dropping the mic on Dan Mullen. 
He just like me for real. <laughs> he just like me for, oh yeah, just got a little dub. Time to slander Dan Mullen. I've been there, brother. <laughs> I thought that was one of those, the, the Brian, like the Brian Ferentz clip that went viral for the, it was AI generated. Yeah. Um, that was definitely not real. I had to check three different places to see yeah. Kirby actually call out Dan Mullen for picking Florida to beat Georgia saying, oh, he was supposed to be my friend. And then dropping a, he didn't like to recruit though. Yep. I mean, I, if you haven't seen but did he clip, lie? But did he lie? Even Florida <laughs> fans. That's, trust me, this is, if you've seen the, the gif of Sean Kemp dunking on Chris Gatlin, and Chris Gatlin, instead of being like super pissed off that he just got dunked on by Sean Kemp, the rain man, he just gets mm-hmm. up and daps him up. I think, you know what, Florida, what did I expect? Well, well played. I, I, sir, you, you won this one. And look, it's not to say that this is how it's it's going to be forever or anything, but uh, that's how good Georgia was feeling. There are certain teams who can say, next man up. And you just roll your eyes because you're thinking to yourself, you just lost one of your best players. This guy is going to be so difficult to replace. And there are certain places where we're, we're seeing it throughout the SEC. I think programs like Kentucky, Auburn, South Carolina are great examples of places where depth is really hurting them and you see it kind of play out within some of these games where they just can't overcome some of those weaknesses and it's not really next man up it's oh we're, we're just kind of screwed now and there's nothing you can really do and obviously george especially if you're pat narduzzi is not man there's not next man up poor pat narduzzi rough saturday against the irish forum i had i've had a couple of moments this year in which i've wanted to pick pit for lock of the week and then i thought to myself no that would just be too much faith in pat narduzzi with not a very good football team we're not doing that mm-hmm. lock of the week did hit by the way once again hope everybody stayed up to watch that six and three no big deal um but georgia's georgia's next man up is just different it, it's it's different i Thought everyone stepped up. I love the game plan for Mike Bobo. I'm going to give Mike Bobo his flowers. The things that they were doing to be able to scheme receivers open in the middle of the field where I feel like Carson Beck is truly at his best. When he's throwing downfield with clean protection, middle of the field, forget about it. Like that is automatic for him. That that is a free throw. Those are my absolute favorite throws of his. That throw that he had, I think it was, I think it was to Ladd late in the game where he's evading Mm -hmm. pressure. He's kind of backpedaling a little bit and you mm-hmm. see the anticipation, you're thinking to yourself, this guy kind of gets it. He, he really does. And he looked he looked great. And, and Ladd was phenomenal, tied his career high in receiving, looked like his 2022 self for the first time since coming back from the back injury. Dom Lovett stepped up, lights out performance from him, thought he was probably going to be a likely guy to step up with his role in the slot. And he looked the part, was big after the catch. Kirby talked about how it had taken a little bit for those transfers, Dom Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas, to, to learn this offense and to truly understand it. And you see now where that's valuable and sitting in the soft spot in the zones, doing all those different things. All those things worked. Obviously, Oscar Delp, we thought if George is going that to continue, oh. R- ridiculous. Un- I mean, how demoralizing is that? It's like, well, at least we don't got to do a Brock. Oh, there's Diet Brock Bowers. Awesome. <laughs> Unbelievable. Gary said on the broadcast, if you didn't know any better, you'd think that was just Brock Bowers. Like there's there's no real replacement. Gary had a rough day, but I'll give him I think he I'm pretty sure he called that out. Um look, that when he makes catches like that, that's gotta be so so demoralizing for a defense. It it really has to be because we ha- we've seen a good amount of Oscar Delp in terms of, of snaps and stuff like that. And we talked about that 
how he's not getting backup tight end snaps because of the way that they use two tight end sets. Right. But we hadn't seen much like that. And it's, it's one thing to look at a recruiting ranking. It's one thing to hear about, oh, he's having an unbelievable spring. To actually see him come out and make a one-handed grab like that when Carson Beck is still settling into the game. I thought he was mm-hmm. a little bit hyped early, you know, homecoming game for him. You're just like, well, this sucks. <laughs> what, what do we do? Poor Austin Armstrong, I'm sure, is just, I would have loved to have had the surveillance on, on his <laughs> on his reaction for that, too. He's just like, well, this is awful. Yeah. This is going to be a terrible day. And then he has the the key block on that Dejan Edwards touchdown, too. Um, great player. Everyone stepped up. E- everyone yep. on Georgia stepped up. We're reminded Georgia's best is still as good as anybody in college football with or without Brock Bowers. Yeah, I mean, and, and until we see different, I'd argue it's better. Because every time it feels like we start to doubt Georgia um, and we're like, oh, you know, I mean, not that we doubted them. We both still picked them to win. Um, I, yeah, I, I, as much as I wanted to think, you know, what's the worst case here? Couldn't imagine picking Florida in this, against this team. But they were just like, you know, it, until it's proven different, we, we go into these games, we have Tennessee, Ohio State, whatever. And we're just like, I don't know. And then Georgia just it's like there's big game Georgia which is one of the best teams I've ever seen. And then there's like number one ranked Georgia, which is just a good number one, normal number one ranked team. But you can tell when they really care. The Kentucky game, they cared. You know, the Florida game, they cared. And not to do the whole like, oh, it's just a team sleepwalking or whatever, but it does seem like they're a different team when they need to get a win. When when like the other team feels like, okay, this could be a moment in our program. Kirby does a great job getting his guys ready to say, no, <laughs> not even close, yep. brother. I'm going to punch you so hard in the face. It's going to send you into the shadow realm and you're never going to want to look up at me and think you're on my level again. <laughs> I look, it's, it's such an unbelievable thing to do to take another team's soul to say, mm-hmm. you think you have life. You don't, I'm going to show you what this actually looks like. And it's so hard to to try and say that that Georgia is going to automatically look like that in a given week, because while we've seen it so much before, we still have seen weaknesses from this team. And -hmm. it's not to say that Georgia, because of what it did against Florida, is now destined to go 12 and 0. Like, I don't think that's a, a guarantee. I think they're going to get through this regular season on skate. I, I, I said that before mm-hmm. in the preview pod. I said this is just survive in advance. You still have three ranked opponents coming up who are combined 20 and four. That is a difficult schedule coming up. And there's no guarantee yep. that Georgia, like Georgia could just have a, a bad day. And just like that, you're like, okay, well, all right. They, they finally lost a game. But what I do think is that we're now at a place with this program where it feels like it's going to take some sort of all-world, one-of-one game to beat this team. And it'd be yep. the type of performance that we'll be talking about years from now, right? And I know everybody says, well, look back at 2019 South Carolina, and you could point to that game. That wasn't an all-world game. South Carolina is dealing with Ryan Holinsky and, and DK Joyner playing quarterback in this game. And Israel mukuamu has got like three picks in this one. And it was just like a sloppy game in which Jake Fromm couldn't do much of anything. That's different, Georgia. That was That's Jake Fromm. That's not Fromm. this Georgia. Bad Jake Fromm, Georgia team, you could beat. Like, you could embarrass that team. This team is embarrassing you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't put that in the same group as this one. I, I just don't. Mm-hmm. I The only team to beat Georgia in the last 42 games was the Heisman Trophy winner playing the best game of his career. Yep. And then they beat we, them. And then they beat them. So you're going to have – to, to beat Georgia, it's – 
all world quarterback play playing at his absolute best, or it's got to be like what we saw Ole Miss against Bama in the mid 2010s, where it's a good enough quarterback. Who's got that next level swagger and his talent Mm -hmm. for that day in that 60 minute window is maximized by an elite schemer. Yep. Outside of that, you're just kind of thinking, man, I I don't know how this is ever going to work out for, for 60 minutes. Again, it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. It's just that that path to beating Georgia that we once thought was there because we saw them play in tight games. It is not as wide open as, as it has been made out to be at times. And this game was the perfect indicator of that. Look, there was nothing probably Graham Mertz was going to be able to do to win this football game. If we're being a hundred percent honest, I don't think he mm-hmm. was that guy. Um, can we talk guy about eh, look, and he was fine. Again, this is another Florida mm-hmm. loss in which I came away from it saying, look, it's not like this game made me say Billy Napier was wrong for his quarterback evaluation. This is why he was overestimating Graham Mertz. No, I, I, I have said before, I'll say it again. Graham Mertz has been way better than what I thought he was going to be. The issue is that he's not also going to be the guy that's going to compete at that high of a level, especially when Carson Beck is clicking the way that he is to overcome how good that Georgia defense was, how disciplined that Georgia defense was. There's just only so much that he's going to be able to do. Florida, I told you, appreciate the possibility of a close game late against Georgia Mm -hmm. because of how bad it was two years ago where you're just trying to avoid the shutout. Um, I, that wasn't on the table. It was not it was a close gone. game late. Nope, it was not. Or um, middle. Early. Look, <laughs> I, there was, there, this game felt, felt over in the second quarter. There was a moment in which I, I remember, um, I think it was one, it was 26 to seven and mm-hmm. they show on the broadcast, they show this quote from Austin Barber. And it was related to Georgia's 24-game win streak. And if you you miss this, what what this this Florida player said, he's like, you know, we play SEC ball like they do. I think they've got some guys that can play. And I think, and then he stopped. 24-0 is great, but they have to come play us. That's what I think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're showing that in the middle of – of a game in which Florida doesn't look like it play it plays in the same conference as Georgia. Yep. That's tough. And I tweeted at at Fred all takes exposed like is this too early to to point this out? <laughs> Sincerely all of us. And F- Fred's a Florida grad so I knew that that kind of that kind of hit home for him. Um I love your Midwestern beefs. It's my favorite cuz he got you last week and now you're like, "Oh yeah, buddy. Now who was wrong?" <laughs> you know, especially when it was Fred's team. Yeah, that, that of course right. we had to we had to shed some light on that. But yeah, that that's the type of quote that that plays during during the week, and then we look at it in the midst of a blowout, and you're like, oh, okay, probably probably need to dial that one back. A little bit of bulletin board material, not the craziest thing. It's not like a victory was guaranteed or or anything like that. But um, look, this game last year, forty two to twenty. This game this year, forty three to twenty. <laughs> It's just one more. It's like it goes up to 11 from Spinal Tap. Yeah, like, and that's the thing about Kirby. Like, as much as we joke about, like, oh, Lane Kiffin's cool because he understands spreads. Da-da-da. Kirby is the most, like, he is a style points understander. Like, he's like, I am not going to. And, and the best part is, like, Florida kind of, 
Florida was playing their starters like way too late into this game too. Cause it was like, we don't want to make this a 50 point game, which it could have been. And it was just, I don't know. It was, it was a very interesting, just like kind of melding of minds. And I'm, I'm sure you'll get to this, but I mean, you know what I think swung in this game, <laughs> that fourth down call. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. That Trevor ETN pass on fourth down, which awful spot on the play before. I thought, yep. I thought they, I thought it was the first down. Yeah. If if Kirby is not standing parallel to that first down marker and losing his freaking mind, I think yep. they probably just give him the first down and maybe they review it and they can't overturn it. But how demonstrative Kirby was, because I think they initially ruled it like that, that he was short. And then they looked at the replay and they're like, yeah, he's he's still short. I thought that he had gotten enough. And I know that the, the yellow line isn't everything. Um, and then they didn't even give him the spot that they should have. Because it should have been truly fourth and inches, and it was more like fourth and a yard. And I yep. don't know if if that's what made Billy Napier think, oh, man, I can't just do a Graham Mertz QB sneak. Obviously, obviously, we play the results with these fourth down calls. And the fact that they successfully ran that later, a Graham Mertz QB sneak, we've seen how the tush push has benefited teams in those spots and the high rate of success we can look at that play and say, yes, that would have been a better call than whatever the hell that was with Trevor Etienne. A Graham Mertz under center through his legs, direct snap to Trevor Etienne, who was somehow going to get enough time to throw an accurate pass on fourth down to one of those receivers. Where it was a really, even if they had had a clean snap and everything, that was a really slow developing play. And I, mm-hmm. I, in that spot, it, it just – that was getting cute. It was overthinking the situation and doing that backed up in your own territory. Look, we hammer these coaches when they're too conservative. I didn't think that was a matter of being too conservative. I thought that was a matter of you saying you don't feel like you have a chance and you need to come up with some crazy play design. And it was telling, in, in my opinion. And he saw, we're not beating this team straight up. We're going to try and do something – really creative and really cute. And against a team that's just so gap disciplined. We talked about that in the preview pod. Yep. That wasn't going to work out. Smile London had that totally sniffed out. And it was like, oh boy, that that's that's when the entire game kind of flipped. I, I thought it was it, it was it was pretty significant at that moment. Yeah. And I texted you this. I love watching football with John because John is not really a football guy. And we're in there, you know, and I'm, you know, we've watched games kind of all day and I look at it and I, I point at the screen and I go, you know, 99% of coaches would just run a tush push here or run like not a tush, but a QB sneak and just get this. And I just go, tush push, Billy yeah, I think you could run that yeah. too. And that's, it still yeah. qualifies as a QB, as yeah. a QB sneak. Yeah. Either way, I was like, or, you know, you can get one of the backs and do, you know, you have two backs. So you could, you have a power back or if you want to swing ETN outside, that's also probably a good play because he could probably make one guy miss and get a yard. And I'm, and so point being, I'm like, I was like 99% of people just go, forward in this play and they get the first down and I go but Billy Napier thinks he's smarter than 99% of people and as that happened it was like in the shotgun it was like no no it's not a shotgun play it's a fake under center play where the ball goes through his legs the running back catches it and he just gets snuffed out and I was like yep that's exactly what I was talking about and I I almost disagreed because it's like I don't think that he was doing that to be cute I think he thought it would work I think he was like they'll never see this coming I got some fire cooking up in my little pot over here they're not gonna see this one I think he was too confident I don't think he was scared but but if you're gonna run a play like that you can't have a slow developing play that that play Mm -hmm. I think they were trying to target the receiver who's coming across 
like in motion from from the the top of the screen. I I, I think like I think it was Pearsall who was coming, and I could be wrong on that. It might have been Wilson that they were trying to target, but it, like if you actually look at the receivers on that play and try and time it up when Etienne was getting the ball, you're like this still would have needed absolutely perfect protection when you've got it in an entirely loaded front. And I thought that yep. was kind of the 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 flaw in in the the thought process of why it could work. Um, so yeah, obviously the game was, was, was clearly, in my opinion, gone from Florida after that and a short field to Georgia was just uh, automatic on Saturday. Can we, we talk about the officiating real quick? Cause it was so bad, so bad. Uh, listen, on, you're talking to a New Orleans Saints fan. I'll talk about officiating all day. If you let me, it was, it was horrible on both sides. You had late hits not being called. You had, the the sequence where Georgia has two plays in which you could have whistled it dead, not whistled it dead. You could have thrown a 15 yard penalty four different times, a blatant mm-hmm. three face masks, three different face masks on one run. And they didn't see one of them. I'm like, what the blind ref Halloween costume never been stronger than right now. Yeah, and there's also like a very clear horse tackle in Florida on that yes. um on the the punt, and I'm like, I I feel like like my whole thing is like if you were to show someone video in a refereeing class of what a horse color looks like, because it's one on one, there's nothing really weird going on. It's just let me grab you by the horse color. Gary says immediately on the broadcast, I don't think that was a horse collar, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, and I and I said to Lauren out loud, I I talked at her, I said. If that's not a horse collar, what is? If that is by definition the the exact play that you are trying to take out, and instead, I don't know what the officials looking at on that play. I yeah, it wasn't even like it was a crowd of people or something and got away with it. So just bizarre non calls in that spot. I have seen, and I'm just going to go on record and say I have no data to back this up. Maybe I don't know. Maybe somebody out there does. Uh, for all I know, that's being tracked by PFF or something. This year, more than ever in college and NFL football, the amount of face mask penalties that are not being called is at an all-time high. It's already a record. I don't know what that mark is. It's It's been hit this year at the mm-hmm. midway point or just past the midway point of this season. So many of these games, I'm just thinking to myself, it's it's the ball carrier. It, it is literally the ball carrier that that we are watching, and he's like, "Where are you looking? This is the ball part of football is right there, brother." <laughs> I have no idea what's going on um, in, in some of those instances. So yes, officiating was all over the map. It was really bad. I, I thought on both sides, and I tweeted out the part about Georgia just because I didn't know, and, and I realized like Florida fans, you 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 had missed calls that that went against you like right before that. And I probably should have called it out for them too. But I had just never seen an instance of two plays in which you could have had four different 15 yard penalties called and none were called. I was like, what? Yep. What is going on here? Um but yeah this this game look it wasn't decided by one call or anything like that, that much we know. That's the good news for the officiating crew. Wouldn't, would not have wanted this game to come down to one call. Uh, it was it was really bad. Can I give Florida fans a little bit of hopium? Is that bad? Sure. That they, yeah, they're already the, the mills. They're in the mills turning hopium butter right now. You know what? And I think there, there are certain teams that don't deserve to have hopium. I think there are certain teams where I can justify it a little bit more, and I can justify it a little bit with Florida. Yep. They are super young. They're super, mm-hmm. super young. They will be top 20 in Bill Connolly's percentage of returning production next year if Graham Mertz comes back. 
I don't know what that situation looks like moving forward. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. If he comes back, they will be in in the in the top 20, maybe even the top 10. And look, if you think that's just ridiculous, go ask Mizzou about it. There's a reason why we've been bringing up the fact that Mizzou was number two in the country in that stat and how inevitable it started to feel like they were going to improve and how that has played out this year. So that that's why I bring up such importance to that. As funny as that is, I actually think you're, you're, like they could just kind of follow Mizzou's blueprint, which is just bring back all the talented guys and just kind of get your head coach to distract him, like jingle some keys when it's time to play off. <laughs> get, get your head coach to realize that he needs an offensive play caller. That's the Mizzou player right. right there. Because Exactly, yeah. They, look, I think they have the right guy on defense. Like I'll, And I know this wasn't a great day for Austin Armstrong. I still mm-hmm. like some of the things that he's doing and some of the ways that they're able to, to get pressure. The Shamar Turner thing sucked. If you saw the, the the clip that they showed on the broadcast of him like, twisting his knee before the game because the, the surface was horrendous. I don't yeah. know why the city of Jacksonville has not been able to figure that out, that that the surface issues, because it's them. They they own the stadium. It's it's not I don't know why the city of Jacksonville, period, end of sentence. <laughs> like just frustrating that Florida um wasn't able to have their leading tackler playing it as as absolute best kind of take that for for what it is but the the signs of promise i i think are still there even in, in the midst of a block game because i think trey wilson's a stud and if this team is really really young they're going to come back but maybe we should just stop treating georgia as a true measuring stick for florida and that sounds crazy and and so many people probably just listened to that and got mad because they thought of all the times in which Florida has dominated Georgia in this rivalry. And they're like, wait, why would we say that they're they're too good for us to measure ourselves against? Why can't we get to that level? But maybe that should stop being this, this like, hey, this is going to tell us where Florida's at. I just don't know that that's the case anymore. And look, I guess it is from a, from a talent standpoint. But at the same time, when you won this game against a talented Georgia team in 2020, what did that really tell you? What, what was the measuring stick for that? Because you've gone 21 and 20 since then. That wasn't this turn the corner, we figured things out type of game. And in all those years in which you've had this great run of success against Georgia, you weren't dealing with this version of Georgia. You just right. weren't. So was it unfair for us, for anyone, to say that Georgia should be the measuring stick for Florida? I'm, I'm kind of coming around to that. Now, I'm not saying like, Oh, Florida fans, you should judge how your team looks this year based on how it performs against Mizzou or Kentucky. That's that's not what I'm saying, but there's pro- there's got to be some sort of middle ground because it just doesn't feel like Georgia is the measuring stick for anyone except maybe Ohio State and and I mean LSU I think is fair because we saw that play out in, in the SEC championship last year and maybe we'll see that again this year. Who knows with the way that LSU and Bama could play out. But I just think there are so few teams that should actually judge themselves next to Georgia. And right now, Florida is clearly not one of them. And sorry if that upsets Florida fans, but look, you've seen this reality. And this is this is the world that we're living in right now. 
Yeah, I think it's two things, right? So, okay, so you know me, I'm not Mr. Florida Hopium, but I agree with you in this case. I think that this is a very young team. And as we've talked about, I think Billy in some ways hasn't done himself favors, right? I mean, I think that, you know, maybe he could have benefited from bringing in um, like a, um, like where uh, LSU brought in Steve Ensminger to help Joe Brady. It's like maybe if he had some older coaches as well, because he loves a young coach too. So the coaching staff is super young and figuring things out testing the limits of which penalties can be called each week. Right. And so I think this group will grow up together and I think they, I think they'll do some winning. I really do. Um, and the stuff that they're bad at is maddening. Cause it's like, you see when it looks good, you see that opening drive and they're drawn up plays that like when Florida looks good. It looks like when like plays that your buddy runs against you in Madden and you're like, well, that's no fair. How'd you do that? And like, like that, you that's gotta, like, you gotta run a different play. You can't keep running the same play. You, the you can't. The yeah. What was that, bro? That was play. BS. Like literally it's like, everything looks so like clean and unstoppable when it works. Um, but then you have these weird little, you know, miscues, you have a little bit of lack of discipline. Um, so like, I'll say this, it's like, there's two things. So right now it's completely unfair to measure those two teams. And like, I'm, like I said, I'm fully on board with those Dan Mullen guys are losers. That's fine. Get them all out of here. And now we've had a full kind of generation starting next year of Billy's guys. These young guys that are hungry. Got you. My retort to the thing about Georgia would be who then, I mean, which of your rivals as Florida do you feel you should be comparing yourself to? Cause right now FSU is number four. Florida um, state. LSU. I think Florida state. I, I think Florida state because of where Florida state was. That, right. that to me is is probably your your more true measuring stick because you're not bringing in the talent that Georgia is. Right. Florida State is doing it in a way that feels, um, in some ways, more sustainable. More, um, it, it's more obtainable. I, I shouldn't say right. sustainable. More obtainable because of how they've evaluated in the transfer portal, the Keon Coleman thing, the Jaheim Bell mm -hmm. thing. Like they've, they've had hits. I mean, even Jordan Travis, if you want to go there. Um, but I, I think that that model looks a little bit different right now than it does for trying to get to the Georgia level because the Georgia level took, took a while. We have this perception that it, that it took Kirby until year two to get to that level while ignoring that Georgia was still bringing in ridiculous amounts of talent before right. then. And Kirby gets Jacob Eason to stay on board. And that mm -hmm. was his big get. And he still had five-star talent to be able to work with. And he inherits a roster that still has Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Roquan Smith. Yep. Like these guys who you look up and you think, well, that's not what, what, what Billy Napier inherited. We can look at the talent composite rankings and know that there was a lack of development down the stretch. And this team didn't have the depth that it needed to. But yeah, I think Florida State is the better measuring stick for Florida moving forward just because I just don't think there are more than four or five teams in all of college football who should be saying we need to evaluate ourselves based on how we play against Georgia. Yeah, and and one thing too, um, since I like was talking about you know recruiting in the state of Florida, Florida's completely turned it on. I mean, Florida's recruiting is on another level right now, and they're up there. They're recruiting right now on the yearly bit right, right now, right now. No, maybe not, you know, maybe not three, four, five classes the way Georgia is, but right now they're recruiting where Georgia is. And so if you combine that with 
do transfer portal stuff that FSU and LSU have been able to do, right? I mean, right now, I think LSU and uh, Florida are pretty comfortable with recruiting, but they're better than FSU right now. I mean, for the last, like, probably two cycles. And, and, and so if you take those young guys and you fill the holes with transfers, which we've talked about, I think that FSU hit on every dang near every transfer. I mean, I'm sure there's some guys we don't know about that they thought were going to be big, whatever. But that's what happens when you kind of catch that type of lightning. What they do is they develop other guys. Like, yeah, if you get a guy like, you know, Jordan Travis coming from Louisville almost doesn't count because he was trash and he barely played. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you get four, you know, a full quarterback cycle with a guy that you've already seen on tape. So I think the way they've done things is really interesting and different. Um, so I think for Florida in the short term, you definitely can do that in the long term. Like reinforcements are coming. Um, and I think you have to be maybe a little bit more creative. Maybe you do go after more of those um, transfer guys like, you know, Jaden Daniels or Jordan Travis that Georgia hasn't really had to with the quarterback position. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe you do some stuff because if you're an offensive guy, like if you're if you're Billy Napier for Florida, just as Kirby makes his hay on defense, you have to show up with an offense that is horrifying. You know, you have to show up. That's how you can start to beat these teams. And to do that, sometimes you have to, you know, think outside the box. So, yeah, I think that's the path right there. Yeah. And of course, the the the, the irony in that is that the 2020 Florida offense was horrifying for, for a lot of those points of the season. It was number one passing offense in the country. And it did beat yep. Georgia, but just we're talking about sustainability. Obviously, they still need more talent in the door. They're going to get more talent in the door, but – yeah, in year two, it's still very, very lopsided. Tennessee, Kentucky, if you said, hey, Devin Leary, he is going to look like the 2021 version of himself. He's going to be NC State, Devin Leary, the guy who was preseason ACC player of the year coming into 2022. Uh, if you said that, if you said, hey, the Kentucky receivers, they're going to play well. Tennessee's going to struggle to get pressure, something that they have done so successfully throughout this yep. season. If you would have taken all of those things, you would have said, wow, Kentucky bounces back. Nice, nice win coming off the bye. They feel like they've kind of righted the ship a little bit. Tennessee's road woes continue. Nope. Did not happen. Tennessee still mm -hmm. found a way. Pretty amazing they didn't get the ball back in the final four and a half minutes. Fitting that it ended with a Kentucky player going down with, I don't want to say what's a fake injury, what's not a fake injury. There are plenty of fake injuries in that game. Um, but the 10 second runoff meant that Tennessee could run down the clock. And yep. that was just like, of course, Kentucky was going to find a way to not get the football back because of something like that. But it, it really was, this game was Tennessee dominating with its versatile running attack that Kentucky had no answer for none whatsoever. Not an easy thing to do to go into Kroger field at night and run for 254 like Tennessee did. Georgia was the only team that had 120 rushing yards against Kentucky this year. It was a good yep. run defense and Tennessee good defense period. And yeah, Tennessee they, ball, like I'll give them credit. Yeah. Josh Heupel has had so much success against Kentucky, man. He's three and zero against Mark Stoops. Think about that. He's three and zero, and this was his worst offensive day. Remember that game last year? We're talking about, Oh, this is kind of a good matchup for the Kentucky passing game. This is where Tennessee's kind of struggled on the back end. And then Tennessee just whooped them in Knoxville that game at night. And it's yep. three consecutive years in which Mark Stoops is on the other sideline going, man, we don't have an answer for what Josh Heupel is doing on offense. And that, to me, is is pretty telling. And it's why Tennessee has kind of overtaken Kentucky in whatever sort of East hierarchy there is right now. Um, but, yeah, it's it a was mess. after Georgia is what that is. It's a mess. It's a mess. I was, we're going to, I'll get to some tiers, some SEC East tiers in a little bit. Um, but, yeah, just know that. That it's it, it's a bit uh, it's a bit of a mess. It's kind of all over the place. Joe Milton was good in in spots. That TD pass where the corner just 
fell. Great pass by Joe Milton because yep. if you lead him out of bounds or if you overshoot him, you're like, that's seven points that we needed back. And in a game in which obviously it went down uh, to the wire, that was very important to be able to, to make sure that that wasn't a, a you know, a classic Joe Milton overthrow or something like that. So he hits Nimrod in, in a spot that was, that was huge, obviously for them. He clearly likes being more involved in the run game with some of those design mm-hmm. looks that run that he had, I think it was third and seven late where they decide they're on the right hash and they decide we're just going to kind of go QB power. It was almost like an NCAA 14 play yep. call in that spot. And they decide, we feel like we can set the edge. We're going to give it to Joe Milton, trust him to go make a play. And I don't even know that they were dead set on picking that up, but they're just like, we got to be able to run some clock. This is what I feel like we're going to have a chance to actually do. And it's kind of a you know high floor type play for us because he's got the freedom to be able to go out of bounds and stuff like that. And he was able to pick up the first down, and that was huge. I, I'm kind of surprised that it's taken this long to have – wrinkles like that where I didn't think that those were necessarily there. And I don't know if that's something that Joey Halsley and, and Josh Heupel have been able to look at over the course of the last few weeks and say, this is something we have to do. We, we just can't afford not to with Joe Milton. We, we make him a little bit too mm-hmm. much of a sitting duck if we do that, but man, Josh Heupel still waiting on the downfield attack to be a bigger part of this game plan. He's still waiting. Yep. He was disappointed after that. And look, I know I'm being critical of Joe Milton here, but like in Tennessee won and deserves so much credit, but like, this is who Tennessee is. Even that play to Dante Thornton. Great to, great to see Dante Thornton step up and make a big time play. Finally, after we were hearing so much about him, the Oregon transfer, man, I heard so much at SEC media days about how he was going to be the guy at Tennessee Mm -hmm. and he was going to take on that number one role. And he gets going in this one. Um, on that on that play and makes a nice play in space to be able to pick up a ton of yak yards, but that was more yak than air yards. This is who Tennessee is. Tennessee deserves so much credit for finding a way to win in a hostile atmosphere for the first time in a year. Think about that. I'm going to guess that Tennessee will be somewhere between 16 and 20 in that first playoff poll. Kind of depends. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the quality of wins, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, um, eh. You haven't had to face Mizzou yet. You haven't had to face Georgia yet. Uh, A&M win. Kentucky. You can make a case that Kentucky win is their best win because it was on the road, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so they'll probably be somewhere in that range, but could end up being one of those kind of important teams for an SEC contender because obviously when you have Georgia on the schedule and, and you know, Bama, obviously, like that's, that's still considered a nice win for them. Um, but the New Year's Six Bowl is still on the table for Tennessee. And if they had lost this game, I would have said, nope, not going to happen. They would probably have to run the table, which would include a win against Georgia, and I just wouldn't be able to bank on that. But if the New Year's Six Bowl is still on the table, keep in mind, Tennessee fans, that while that is not getting to Atlanta and going to an SEC championship, the list of programs who have been to consecutive New Year's Six Bowls in the playoff era is not that long. Yeah, it's, it's hard not. to do. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, there there are certain programs that make it look like we can roll out of bed with our worst roster and still get to a New Year's Six Bowl. Your Ohio State's, your Georgia's, obviously, your Bama's, but it's not it's not a given. And to me, that would that would have been like best case scenario in the preseason for Tennessee was New Year's Six Bowl. If, if you're getting to a New Year's Six Bowl in what feels like a transition year 
given what you had to replace on offense, that would be significantly successful. That would show you that 2022 wasn't a one-off. This, this isn't like, this wasn't some flash in the pan. That would actually, to me, make a really strong statement. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen or that's, that's a given, but going into November with that still on the table is, is good. And their offensive line is great when they play like Mm -hmm. that. They were so much better in that game than they were in the second half against Bama. Obviously, the competition might have a little bit something to do with that, but it's still on the table. And that's, I mean, like that's that's got to feel really good for for Tennessee at this point of the season when they've, I think, struggled with a little bit of an identity crisis early on, and it's not been a typical Heupel team. Um, this entire game, I imagine Mark Stoops was the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's on the couch, he's like pointing at the TV. Himself. Yeah. yeah, like the, the once upon a time in Hollywood. Like basically Stoops is saying the entire time, see, I knew I wasn't crazy to fall in love with Devin Leary. That's that's the guy. That's that's him. Yep. That's what I was told I was going to get. Maybe it was just me that was doing that, but I, I'm not sure how much of it was the bye week. Whatever it was, Devin Leary looked so much more comfortable than he had at any point all season. And that includes yep. the, the group of five games that they were playing early on where the offense just kind of clunky. Wasn't sailing throws. He stepped up in the pocket with confidence. His receivers didn't let him down. Dane Key was awesome. Barry and Brown finally didn't look like he was betting on the other team or something. I mean, golly. That guy's had Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I like I like texting you that. It's it's funny because like coming into this one, it was like felt like a game where it was like a terrible day to be a receiver because I mean these are the two quarterbacks maybe in the NCAA that it's like they're going to just throw a missile at their receiver no matter where he is on the field if he's five yards in front of you your fingers are getting crushed by that ball. Uh, talking about Bazooka Joe Leary and both of them for the day had really soft touch on the ball which was actually really shocking. And to your point, like Brown is a dude who. You know, with all these Kentucky receivers, and they just kind of feel very similar. It's like, okay, well, we all have the, we've seen Dane we've seen Brown make these big plays, but we need you to, it's just not there. And he was consistent today. Everybody was consistent. Even Bazooka Joe was pretty consistent today. And that was the craziest thing because other than, you know, the, uh, the hapless offenses, right? Your Mississippi States, your Auburns, these offenses have been two of the most like, okay, buddy, what do you go on, do something. Um, and, And it feels like with Tennessee, and like we talked about this a little bit, it's like their whole offense has been one extended rpo for all year it's like okay are you going to be a downfield passing team are you going to be this crazy like almost service academy style running attack that we saw are you going to be what are you going to be are you going to have a little bit of qb run and and you know we talked about it's like with with joe milton it's like he probably needs two or three things to be great right he either needs to be able to put touch on the intermediate throws he needs to consistently hit the deep throws or he needs to get involved in the run game and that was almost a joke when we said it initially because like yeah he's going to run the ball yeah he's he's going to run the ball (laughs) what it looks like he's going to do I think Josh Apple knows, though, that this style, this identity that they have is probably not going to be enough to beat Georgia. No, I mean, probably. Yeah. Look, they, they had a group last year that could stretch the field better than anybody in college football. They could take advantage of those mismatches, the explosive plays. You're just waiting for them to happen. And why they go like 55 minutes in that game against Georgia, albeit against a different defense, one that had Jalen Carter, this one doesn't. They don't have those game records up front. So maybe that changes the way that Georgia kind of uses coverages and stuff, how many they rush, all those things. I get that. But Josh Heupel saw last year what it looked like to have an offense that did not have that explosive playability against Georgia within that window. And if that part Mm -hmm. is still totally unknown going into that game, it's going to be tough to say, we're going to rely on this. We need to be able to stretch the field. And I think there's a part of him, whether he admits that or not, that knows 
it's great to have this offensive line that's playing so well. Tennessee in the trenches has looked awesome. You can't tell me that there are 10 to 15 teams better than Tennessee in the trenches with what they're doing this year, both on offense and defense. That's all well and good. There are still other areas, though, where you're saying, well, we need a mismatch here. We need a mismatch there. We need to take advantage of what we have with the explosive passing game to feel truly confident because there's a reason why it took so long for for a team to to have as good of a rushing day as 2018 LSU did against Georgia. And yeah, like the atmosphere was part of that. Maybe that's kind of the game plan that Heupel hopes to dial up is, is follow a little bit more of like what Auburn did in that game in which they played Georgia down to the wire and hope, well, they don't have Brock Bowers to turn to. So maybe that's kind of our plan of attack. But I think that there is still that, mm, man, it would be great if we could just have this. And to this point, even in a win, you're reminded that they still don't quite have this. And I think you'll you'll take it at this point, but you know, there there are still going to be those questions going into the Georgia game, barring some drastic turnaround uh that, that's coming up here. Can we do you want to talk tears? Um tears yeah, I was, I was about to say I was about to say real quick on that. You know, it's it's crazy. It's like, you know, when you imagine Josh Hypo, you almost imagine this kind of a little bit of a finesse team. Like you imagine a team that's hitting these deep plays, that's moving fast, that's doing all this stuff. And and I'm not saying this to dumb on Kentucky. I'm really not because like we talked about, I actually picked Kentucky to lose by way more than this. I'm actually really like proud about Kentucky. As as tough as it is, you know, it's at home. You're owing three. I get all that. This is a game that historically Kentucky comes out and just completely lays an egg. Like honestly, the fact that they're even in this game at the end feels a little bit like progress. I'm not even doing copium, but it's like whatever. But what I will say that Tennessee did that's very interesting to me is like. They have physical Kentucky pretty clearly, in my opinion. And, you know, when you talk about the way they run block, when you talk about the pressure that they were able to get, and that's Mark Stoops' bread and butter. And so if you look at Josh Heupel, who's this guy that's always been a go fast, like da 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 like trickeration, hit the guy down the field, let's play develop. And then you go into Lexington and just punch Mark Stoops in the mouth. I think that's awesome for their team and their development. And they're still got to get the penalties cleaned up, but they're playing hard. Like they're not quitting. They're not like being soft and like getting off the field and getting lost when stuff goes wrong. That's the way I feel like has changed in Joe Milton is that because he's able to use his legs and get a little bit more of a rhythm, he's almost been a better leader for the offense and be able to pick them up when they used to just completely forget how to play football, which I mean, it's happened true. last week for a minute, but this is again, Alabama It's a little bit different, you know? I'll give Kentucky credit for for holding up on the offensive line. I thought they did a really mm -hmm. good job in, mm -hmm. in pass protection, an area that they've they've obviously struggled with at times. And when Devin Leary is stepping into throws like that, you could tell that that group totally was like, hey, we got to get this figured out. And I know they're dealing with injuries and whatnot, but I thought they handled Tennessee up front. But you're right. What Tennessee was willing to do on the offensive side of the ball was just say, hey, we think we can punch you in the mouth. That third and seven call with Milton on, the, mm -hmm. on that keeper was, was kind of a sign of like, hey, we think that we can – we think that we can beat you doing this. Um, Tennessee has that and, to me, very much has an identity at this point in the season heading into November. The tiers that I would break the SEC East into, Tier 1 is Georgia. Nobody else is in that tier. Mm -hmm. Tier 2 is Florida, Mizzou, and Tennessee. Mizzou, if you're mad, tell me about how those games against Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee have gone. Oh, wait, you can't because they haven't happened yet. So, right. sorry, not putting you in Tier 1. Those two teams are, are still worthy of being in your tier. Tier three is Kentucky and South Carolina. And tier four is Vandy. Like, right. that's, that's kind of it. I don't know if, I don't really know how you argue anything other than that at this point. Like, I think that there is, the fact that Tennessee beat Kentucky in Lexington, you showed, hey, we're we're in that, that slightly better tier. I think Tennessee 
at like a neutral site would still be favored by at least a touchdown against Kentucky. So yeah, that's kind of how I would handicap it at this point. Well, I don't know if we could put Florida a tier above Kentucky because um, <laughs> yeah, okay, true, true. Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. I would just drop Florida down honestly because how they play against Georgia. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, I, but I, how I, they play against Tennessee? So that's you know. Yeah, I think that's just. I think that just is what that is. I think that just is what that is. Like, I keep looking back. That is the only Florida game I've incorrectly predicted this year, and I think that just. I think this is how their rivalry works. I can't give you better than that because they just whooped the mess out of them. But they have not really been even that style of team outside of that. Maybe that's just how the Florida Kentucky rivalry works now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is good that point. Crazy. Yeah, you know, maybe that's just good point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, South Carolina, Texas A and M. Will early on. We were texting about this. This felt like, man, maybe this could be one of those Beamer games. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to call it. I don't think Beamer should be able to have Toby Keith games because he's mm -hmm. done this often enough to where I feel like he deserves his own category. It's not really how do you like me now type stuff. It's mm -hmm. this is what I do. Um, if you want to, <laughs> this is going to upset so many people. Like this is how we roll Florida Georgia line Luke Bryan. <laughs> Probably one of the worst songs of the 2010s. Um, it's kind of fitting for him. <laughs> Some might agree with that. Yeah. Um, this is like kind of what Beamer has been known for so far at South Carolina. Four wins is double-digit underdog. You kind of wondered if Spencer Rattler and company were about to make it five with how this game started and how well they came out on both sides of the ball. Max Johnson was sacked three times in the first 11 minutes. South Carolina yep. up front looked way more desperate. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, man. Is this, are we about to have conversations about Jimbo Fisher that we're going to be breaking down the Iowa notepad and stuff and, yep. and getting into which booster could fund this? And th No. South Carolina then reminded us that staying healthy with them has been basically impossible. Depth mm -hmm. is still a major, major issue. And this team has too many weaknesses as a result of that. Xavier Legat wasn't quite himself, even though it was great to see him out there. The good news was that Nick Harbor continues to look like the real deal. You told him. You told South Carolina My fans, boy. Look, he is a freak. After I thought it was it was pretty cool to see. Like after he had that that bad drop that would have moved the sticks, Rattler goes up to him and basically it looked like he was telling him, I'm coming back to you. You're my guy. I need you today. Mm -hmm. I can't have you just, you know, be be totally out of this game plan. And he ends up having a career high in receiving yards. I know it's a loss. I know it's a two and six start for South Carolina, which has been wildly disappointing, but I do like seeing stuff like that. And look, it, it worked. And who knows? Maybe that connection is going to be what South Carolina leans on as much as anything in this final month of the season, wherein all those games are at home and bowl eligibility, even for a two and six team, as crazy as that sounds, isn't that far fetched. It's not. Jacksonville State's seven and two, though. A little worried about that for South Carolina. <laughs> a, little, mm -hmm. a little worried. Eighth difference offensive line combination this season for South Carolina. They lost another offensive lineman in this game. Down, they're they're down six scholarship offensive linemen, which is bad. And they, they weren't any good to start with. <laughs> Week one, they yeah. were getting beat off the <laughs> off the ball. Yeah, that's the tough part. Yeah, this is not an Ole Miss situation where you're kind of like, oh, you know what? The offensive line's kind of figuring some things out. They're getting a little bit better. Ole Miss is much better, too, with Caden Prescorn on the field. They did a graphic that that showed how much better the rushing attack has been with him and why Judkins has probably benefited from having a tight end out there. But that's we'll save that for the Ole Miss part. 
it felt like once A&M kind of realized, oh, wait a minute, this offensive line can't stop us. It was kind of over. Edrick Cooper, mm-hmm. that guy is playing with his hair on fire all season. He is awesome. He is so freaking good. I was glad to see that he wasn't held, you know, held out of this game coming off of the the injury that he took in the Tennessee game where Joe Milton kind of blew him up and he was forced out of that one. He is making himself millions with his play this year. Six solo stops in this game, four quarterback hurries, two TFLs, one sack. He had the forced fumble on Joyner at the end of the game that kind of put it on ice for AM. He's just great. He is in a position where like if he's not in all America discussions, Veneric award, like that guy is going to be, racking up some hardware if this continues because he has been uh the real deal but yeah AM did what it had to do stopped the bleeding within this game which is good it beats the alternative the alternative was going to four and four with a home loss to south carolina everybody talking about jimbo's buyout and instead you don't have to worry about that i i thought that they did enough things offensively early on that made you feel like okay this this group is still explosive. They still have weapons. Some of the catches that Evan Stewart. Oh my to god, make. that Anaya Smith play! Oh, oh nice where play. he went across the field, caught it on the sideline, cut back across the field. That's like that's what you do in NCAA, and you're like, why don't you see people do that in real life? Because people human bodies don't work that way. You can't stop and then change the way you're going and take off the other way. Well, he had six South Carolina defenders around him at some point, and he somehow just made all of them miss. Yep. I was like, this the body control. He's he's incredible. They had this graphic mm-hmm. that they put up where he's the only SEC player ever to hit all of the marks that he has, like in receiving, rushing yards, punt, kick return yards, all those different things. And I I mm-hmm. wish they had kind of like given the parameters of of which specific number it was. And I'll have to look that up. I, I could have just done that, but didn't come uh, didn't come with that note handy. That's not going to get the attention that it deserves, and maybe it people will look at him and say, oh, well, you know what? In the NFL, he's, you know, you draft him in the fourth, fifth round because you know, he can play special teams. He could, you know, he can do that for you. And he's probably not going to be that guy that we talk about years from now as, wow, that guy really changed the program or anything, but what a great valuable player he has turned into. And some of the Mm -hmm. things that he does, man, like if you're, if you're not paying attention to A&M, you won't notice them and you won't notice how good he is, but that guy could play anywhere in the country and he would make plays for you. He, he just would. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I thought he was, I thought he was fantastic. I expected a lot more from A&M though, in a, in a more favorable matchup, especially coming off the bye week still had another game without a second half offensive touchdown. That's four. And I get it. The max right play. It, if you didn't see this, Max Wright, the AM tight end, made this play that in real time, I think he and AM AM fans watched it and thought, oh, that's too bad. Max Johnson just let him way too far out of bounds. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't really have much of a chance. And then they showed the replay. Like, oh my God. <laughs> how did he get his toe down? And yep. I don't know how many they, they showed us five minutes of this replay, basically saying, Yeah, his toe is down right there. And if it was an issue where he bobbled it after they weren't showing us that, I don't know why Mm -hmm. they just kept showing us this toe drag. It was almost like they thought it was so ridiculous that they just had to keep showing it to us. And they were certain that it was going to get overturned. And then it did (laughs) it like, wait, Mm -hmm. what Jimbo wasn't happy about that afterwards. I I thought that was, that was a weird miscall again, 
officials, I just want to know what you're looking at. Just, just tell me what you're looking at in these spots. Have that communication there. We didn't even get a ruling afterward. I don't even think he said they just said the ruling on the field stands because it was ruled incomplete because there was no way he had any business catching that ball and staying in bounds right. with where that throw was taking him. I just would have been crazy to say the receiver did not control the football to the ground or something. I, I don't know, but we didn't get any of that. And was robbed. That should have been a catch. That it was just so cool, had, too. That dude had the most electric two catches for nine yards I've ever seen in my life. Because he also had a weird – like, they had one that they dropped in the bucket that he caught for a first down earlier in the game. That's why I was like, who is this guy? Because he caught a play not as crazy, but, like, for a guy like that where you're not even looking back at the quarterback and you just trust that it's there and it was, like, an easy first down, it, he made it look easy. But most guys of, you know, that skill set would just completely not even – the ball would just go somewhere else. And it would be like, what was that? But, yeah, the, I was like, who are you, son? You, what do you got going on over there? It, interesting dude. Yeah, that both of like his catches were were insane. I was like, okay. Anna makes a lot of highlight reel grabs. They really do. Yeah, that's and that's why I find myself so intrigued because like, oh god, like they they actually have the guy that can put him in some of those spots. Sometimes Max Johnson still takes way too many hits. Way too many hits. Yep. I, I I wish he was as thick as his dad. That's that's a weird <laughs> sentence to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but like we see the big bad Brad, the uh, the girth. Yeah, no, he's a he has hockey player brain. I think he's like he likes getting him, hit. They show him on the sidelines so many times, and I think to myself, God, why can't Max Johnson just be that thick of a dude? Because yeah. if he were, I, I like he, he you wouldn't be wincing every time he takes a hit, and he's bigger than probably what he looks like on TV. Yeah, he's like six six. Yeah, he's like he's six huge. But he's not he's he not would, ripped. Yeah. 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 So some of the some of the times where he gets up so slowly, and maybe it's because mm-hmm. he's a lefty or something, and I've just got two injuries burned into my brain after watching his, those three years. I just think yeah. to myself, oh, he's in trouble. This is this isn't gonna end well. I do find myself just wishing that he were bigger because that offensive line, um, it kind of blows chunks. It kind of blows chunks. It's not good. AM's yep. offensive line should have been so much better this year. And that's that's be, that's been one of the most disappointing units. I thought they were going to have shades of 2020. I don't think they have at all. The running backs cannot pass protect to save their lives. It's it's really bad to watch to watch that. And I do worry about that. Max Johnson making it through an entire season. That's a bad matchup next week for an Ole Miss defense that has Jared Ivy and our guy JJ Pegues like. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to get after him. Pete Golding is going to dial up a lot of looks. And I, I kind of find myself wondering, man, is A&M's offensive line going to be able to handle all that pressure? Because, ooh, Max Johnson is – he's racking up the hits this year. They're, that guy is – that guy's had some rough Sunday mornings, I can tell you that. Ooh. Yep. Do we want to move on? Let's move on to Vandy and Ole Miss. I only got two things that I want to discuss, Well, Only two things sure. for this game. A uh, game in which Ole Miss – put away by halftime, not really a good second half for Ole Miss, and Lane was kind of frustrated with that. But the two things that are worthy of discussion, one is J.J. Pegues, our king, mm-hmm. was he was robbed of a touchdown, Will. He, he was in the end zone, and yeah, I'm biased. I wanted to see him get in the end zone. When Lane lines him up at Wildcat quarterback, which he mm-hmm. had only done once once this year, that oh, I, I don't care – I, I, look, I, I understand that in real time, officials have to be able to make calls or whatever. He kept pushing and pushing the pile. And I thought, oh, that Lord, they, he coming. He, he was, man. 
Oh, look. There, if, if I would have just as an official said, there's no way that you were able to stop him in his tracks. He gained at least a yard. I would have had to have right. gone to replay and um, replay showed that he was like right at the goal line right there. I thought he was in. I think Ole Miss like went quick. They didn't wait for a review or something like that. I hated it. I, I'm going to give JJ Pickies a touchdown in my personal box score. He earned it. Yep. He got to block as a fullback on the next play. I think Jackson Dart like ran it in, whatever. He, JJ Pickies needs the football in his hands. If you don't agree with me, you need to go back and watch what he was doing as a recruit in Oxford because this mm-hmm. guy, um, man, Billy Cutcliffe, yeah, David Cutcliffe's son was his coach mm-hmm. in high school. And the the plays that he would make as a Wildcat quarterback, I remember because I did a story on him like three years ago. And there was one time where they took a field goal off the board. And mind you, JJ Pegues is playing a bit of everything on offense. He's like a tight end receiver, a wildcat quarterback, whatever. They took a field goal off the board. I think it was in a scoreless game at the end of the first half. And they were because they were going to have an untimed down available. So they could either decline and have the field goal accepted, or they can try and run a play from the one or two yard line. Mm-hmm. And JJ Pegues talks his coach into giving him a goal line fade on an untimed down. And it worked. That man is incredible. I love that. I love <laughs> that so much, man. He was like man. 300 pounds. He was, he could yeah, he's a king. in high school. Oh, yep. What a stud. So okay. I felt it's like we felt lad of the week being taken from his hands in real time because he didn't get the touchdown. Awful. That's <laughs> just Lane needs to get him at least three more carries this season, or else I'll be upset. He was great on the mm-hmm. defensive line, though. He had a, a big sack of Walter Taylor the third late. That's right, Walter Taylor, Vandy quarterback. The rotating carousel of quarterbacks in Clark Lee's offense continues, mm-hmm. man, it keeps on spinning six, seven, 235 pound Walter Taylor. Um, that dude is huge. If you watch this guy, if you, if you tuned into this game on Saturday night, you flipped over and you're like, who the heck is playing quarterback for Vandy right now? You're not alone. Even lane did not know Michael Katz friend of the program had the, the tweet with this quote from lane where lane said afterwards, who is this guy? Did they sign Cam Newton? <laughs> okay. Okay, he can't do the Cam Newton thing. Come on, well, bro. <laughs> we do not. We do not accept Cam Newton comps on this pod. They are illegal, but unless it is presented with humorous context and it's made more so as a joke, that's right. when we'll allow it. When Gary is comparing KJ Jefferson to Cam Newton, yeah. we don't want that. To get that off my TV. Just bleep that entire sentence, please. Do that. But Lane saying, who do they sign? Is that Cam Newton out there? Like, a, my God, he's a big dude, huge yeah. dude. Um, only other thing that we need to discuss from this game, Lane brought a basketball hoop to the sideline. I saw that. That was so funny. <laughs> it's incredible. They put yeah. it at eight and a half feet tall, as Cole told us on the broadcast. I would have been mad if Cole didn't get that information from Lane because there was no way that hoop was 10 feet tall with the dunks that they were throwing right. down. It's just all dunking celebrations. It was, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Lane did it to avoid uh, the sleeper game. So I'm not sure that it's going to be an every week type thing. But right. I, look, I get sick of the sideline props, the turnover chain stuff. It was cool. Miami was first doing it. And then everybody's got to have their own thing. And it's like so cliche. Some of these things that people are doing. Having a hoop at eight and a half feet is so perfect. 
you talk about getting guys fired up. Think about this. When you were a kid or something like that, or maybe when you were in high school, maybe you currently deal with this like I do. When you go on a neighborhood walk, you try and dunk on every hoop you can, right? Right. I mean, every, everybody does this. This, this is 99%. Rule, yeah. Yeah. It's like when you, you ball you up trash, to. you got to like give it a little shimmy shake and try to, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. When a hoop is is lowered too, if I see a hoop that's lowered, you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get up on that. And not yeah. sometimes the ten feet tall ones are like, all right, I know I'm probably only gonna be able to get you know get net or something like this, but you gotta at least try. I'm 33 mm-hmm. now, and I resist the daily urge to do that when we take Claire on walks. I just want to dunk on every single hoop or at least attempt to. And I know I'm five eight. Back off, listeners. But you you, you got to just try it. Okay. Yeah. Lane doing this to shake up the vibes. I thought it kind of worked. Didn't really allow them to play a full 60 minutes, but Jackson Dart seemed to enjoy it. Quinshot Judkins seemed to get a kick out of it. Dayton Wade tried to go through the legs. Didn't work out so much. I think that they needed to tighten up some of the screws in the hoop. I think he soft rims probably hurt him a little bit on that dunk. If I was being a, a dunk contest judge or something, but yeah, I, I want this on the sideline in every Ole Miss game. I'll take that. Yeah. Dude, no, I extinguisher. You know me, like I'm, I sometimes lanes a little bit too much for me, but he does have a little bit of me in his game. And like, that is so <laughs> cool. It's so cool. Cause it's like exactly what you say. It's a trap game. It's not like we're doing this against Alabama and try to like show up. It's not like to get your popcorn thing. It's like, no, like the real goal here is this basketball hoop. It's between you and the basketball hoop. Don't worry about Vandy. Just play your game. I actually love that as a motivational tactic. That's fire. Dude. Perfect can get basketball hoops in Africa for crying out loud. Ole Miss is a mm-hmm. power five program. If they want to do this every single week, even if it's Bama, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Let them do it. Am I terrified that someone's going to get hurt? And the second that someone gets hurt, we will play the results and say, this was the dumbest thing ever. How dare Lane ever do something like that? Yes. Do I love the visual of guys not taking off their helmets and dunking like Jackson Dart did? Also, yes. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. This I don't is think I've ever seen that visual actually in my yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that physically in my life. A guy in a football player uniform dunking a basketball. That was actually really yeah. That was fire. That's hard to do. Full pads. <laughs> yeah, it helmet is. on. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the fact that we had an in between the legs attempt. I feel like that's that's the next iteration of the dunk contest. Get mm-hmm. other sports involved. Show me that you can do that in full pads. Then I'm going to be really impressed. And yeah. Yep. Just doing on a 10-foot hoop, not an eight-and-a-half-foot eight and hoop. But nonetheless, Ole Miss gets the win. They have um, they have a, a path to the playoffs still, technically, as we head into November, and they will be likely uh, at least close to a top-10 team when those rankings come out on Tuesday. Yep. Neither of these teams will be close to the top-10. Mississippi State and Auburn. Well, we didn't mm-hmm. get 3-2. to two. I was good. Um. <laughs> You know what? If it's going to be so bad, make it so bad that it's memorably bad. I would have been okay mm-hmm. with three to two. I would have been. That would have been great. We instead got Peyton Thorne looking like a competent quarterback. Crazy. Yeah. Guide five passing touchdowns all season coming into this one. He had three in the first half. Yeah. Auburn fans, if, if you listen to the reaction to this, Auburn fans were almost shocked every time it happened. The not quite sarcastic but truly thrilled reactions that Auburn fans would have. I would love to hear the sound side by side to an Auburn touchdown pass in this game compared to 
2018 or 2019 when Tua would throw a slant to J- to, to, to Jalen Waddle that would just go 80 yards to the house or something like that. Yeah. And just like, okay, Bama fans are, are used to seeing this. It doesn't really surprise you. But, man, uh, I think even Peyton Thorne probably couldn't believe how successful he was with the passing game early. He had 11 different receivers in the first half. 11 different receivers. That's you know what crazy. this means, Connor? Now we got to see more Peyton Thorne. <laughs> you know, I'll say this. I'll say this. They got away from the two-quarterback system. Thank God. Oh, and mm-hmm. look, I'm not saying that as an anti-Robbie Ashford take. It's an anti-two-quarterback system take. Literally. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's all this really is. Free said afterwards that he had planned for Robbie to be more involved, but Peyton was, you know, he started off hot. He played really well. So I think he's saying that they were going to get away from the two quarterback system, but kind of not really at the same time. I think that there are obvious limitations with a post spring quarterback transfer, obvious limitations. We have seen them play out with this Auburn offense. It doesn't mean that Peyton Thorne is all of a sudden turned the corner, but they're running. They ran more tempo in this game. It's like, well, yeah, Obviously, you would have loved to have been running as much tempo as Auburn did from the jump. But when you're out here with a post-spring quarterback transfer trying to learn your offense and you're trying to run a two-quarterback system and you've got quarterback substitutions, I think they had a quarterback substitution penalty last week. What? Yep. This, this, is, this is your sign that you need to be done with this. Okay, this, this is not for you. You should not be doing this within series and stuff like that. But there are, there are just, I think, limitations that we don't fully grasp for these post spring quarterback transfers unless it's something where it is and even if it's a quarterback that already knows the offense because it's previous to a system they played in or they already know the terminology because it's an oc that they've worked with that, that they or you're playing with, in michigan and you know everybody's terminology anyway great point Will. <laughs> yes you've got connor stallions on the sidelines saying no i got you fam we're good i'm gonna take care of you <laughs> Unless you have that, I think it's really hard because, you know, getting mm-hmm. on the same page as receivers and all that stuff. And for so much of this season, that has just not been the case for Peyton Thorne. But they're able to have kind of the offense that they had envisioned. This was this was the hope that the, the offense could eventually get to a place where it looks like this. Not a great second half, but still did enough to be able to win this one. First SEC win for Hugh Freeze. He got to roll Toomer's corner afterwards. All he had to do was just not run a two-quarterback system. What a concept. Who would have thought, Connor? Freeze said afterwards, you know, having guys, maybe he said this before, and I'm just misremembering the quote and the context, but hey, maybe having guys not look over their shoulder the entire time about when they're going to get pulled, maybe maybe we should try that. We should just mm-hmm. take that off the table. Um, yeah. So that was a positive development for Auburn. Um, look, it's still Mississippi State's defense. As an LSU right. fan, you know, this, this this past defense has had a lot of issues against non-Arkansas mm-hmm. FBS teams. That's pretty much been the MO all year. It's not been the MO. It's been the Achilles heel. Auburn taking so many chances in single coverage with some of these guys was pretty telling for Mississippi State's defense, which did not have a sack. When they can't get to the quarterback, forget about it. But, yeah, Hugh Freeze, he's on the board. That one was big for Auburn's bowl potential. Auburn just won for the first time in six weeks. And I'm like, wait a minute. Auburn can still end up with an eight and five record at the end of the season. 
God, the end of the season is going to be so insane. As sad as I am that it's passing us by, this next little, like, four or five game stretch is going to be insane, man. Because there's so many teams that are like, okay, we actually could kind of come up here. <laughs> like, I'm saying off-season good vibes team is potentially on the table for Auburn. I, I'm just saying, with what they're going to return and how favorable their schedule finishes out. Now, obviously, you still got the Iron Bowl. But mm-hmm. next two games coming up are on the road. You're facing the last two SEC teams who have not won a conference game, right? You've got mm-hmm. Vandy, you've got Arkansas on the road. So then New Mexico State and obviously Bama. So seven and five regular season, and then anything goes in a bowl game, that's that's still on the table. Mississippi State yeah. should also like still feel like it has a, a shot at a bowl game because Southern Miss, that's going to be a win. And then one of these – Are we Southern sure Miss, about that? Southern Miss has one win this year. I looked that up to make yeah. sure. Yeah. They're not, they're, yeah, they're, they're really in a bad place. They're, yeah, I know. They're in a Basura place right now. And yeah. then you've got to win one of these next three for Mississippi State. Home against Kentucky. Keep in mind, Kentucky has not won in Starkville in 15 years. So that's, Jeez. that's working in your favor. At AM, eh. home against Old Miss. They should go to a bowl. All you got to do is win two of those. Again, Southern Miss, or I guess one of those three, one of those three SEC games. Because you're beating yep. Southern Miss. So home against Kentucky, obviously that's the spot that you want to be able to get. But there's still a world in which Mississippi State can go to a bowl game, even though this year has been really, really frustrating. They've taken a step back. I think they really want Will Rogers back and healthy to take over down the stretch. Arnett said afterwards, if he's when he's when he's right, he's he's going to to be our guy. Um, Mike Wright did not steal this job with anything that he's done so far. What this shoulder injury to Will Rogers has done very quietly is make his path to the SEC career passing record look a lot tougher. Think about this. He is 1,203 yards from doing that, from breaking friend of the program, Aaron Murray's SEC career passing yards record. He would basically need to average a 300-yard game for the final four games if you want to average it out over a five and say, oh, Mississippi State's going to go to a bowl game and he's going to play every single game. He would need... 241 passing yards a week, which eh, I don't really feel yeah. great about that. And I don't know what his future is. I don't know what his future is beyond this year. I don't know if he's going to be staying at Mississippi State, if their offense is going to change. There are a lot of unknowns with Will Rogers. So what, what once looked like a foregone conclusion that he was going to break this record, because he still has eligibility left. Let's not forget that. But, man, you're kind of looking at it going, Ugh, this is uh, – this might not happen, and that's not something I thought we were going to say coming into this season. The I know we've talked a little bit about this, but the um, Wolf of Wall Street sell me this pin of like KJ Jefferson and Will Rogers with one more year of eligibility left, being like, "Tell me why I should come back to college, and tell me why I should come back here." <laughs> it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun this off season to see where those guys end up. Oh, God, I'm uh, I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm a little bit worried yep. about that because. If, if you're Will Rogers, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the person who goes to a certain job post college, and they spend 10 years there. And I'm not saying this is what Mississippi State is doing, but maybe the company goes bankrupt, or you get laid off or something like that. And that's the only thing on your resume. And Yes, Will Rogers has had this year in the Kevin Barbe offense, but I don't know what his market looks like knowing how unique of a system he played in when he was playing at his best. So it, it sort of complicates it. It's like, 
this person with this one of one resume that's going to be difficult to kind of break down. And it's not to say that he's not been a, an extremely productive player. And that's a difficult thing to do against SEC competition. But um, yeah, I'm very interested to see kind of what the future holds for Will Rogers and what he ultimately opts to do, because he should have some options. I just don't quite know what those are at this point. Could you look at uh, Phil Lungo up in Wisconsin and be an interesting fit? Anyway. Mm, interesting. Different, different version of the air raid. Um, don't know that a boy from Southern Mississippi. I don't know why I called him a boy. Don't know. You don't think he can do the reverse Connor? Uh, look, man, <laughs> it's cold up there. It's cold. I was thinking about because Ohio Ohio State played at, at Wisconsin for the first time in seven years. I was there at the mm-hmm. last time, the last time that Ohio State played at Wisconsin, and that game was real cold, man. Like I just remember thinking mm-hmm. to myself, "Can you imagine doing this for half the season? This is this is tough. This is really tough." I don't know that Will mm-hmm. Rogers will opt for that, but who knows? Okay, let's end with some yarn. Uh, let's do let's do a playoff poll edition. Let's let's do that. Let's just focus on that because I was gonna I was gonna ask uh, like if you think Jaden Daniels can move into the Heisman favorite spot in the betting odds with an Alabama win. I would say yeah, because I'm amazed yeah. that JJ McCarthy has the odds that he does. If you look at that, it, <laughs> it blows me away. Will it blows me away? The the impact that he is making from a passing volume standpoint and the competition that he has played against, forget Connor Stallions and all that stuff. Like that's not even mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about with this. If you just look at it from that standpoint, I'm like, wait a minute, when was the last time that we had a Heisman trophy winner that didn't throw more than 30 times in a game all season? Cause right now JJ McCarthy has nothing to do that. Yet. But anyway, we'll save that discussion for another time. Let's just do playoff okay. yard. Now Georgia will be number one. Yeah. Or no. Yeah. I, th- I'm, I'm, I'm really split on this right now. I'm really split. That's a bad answer for Yara now. I'm a man. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. The, think about this. Every team that Georgia beat so far has at least three losses, right? We're talking about power five competition because Kentucky suffered loss number three. Um, Auburn obviously has been there for a bit. And then, um, and then Florida, that's loss number three as well. So I'm not saying that Georgia will lack quality wins because we've already talked about the three ranked opponents that they have coming up, all of whom could be like top 16, top 17-ish, depending on where Tennessee is. Um, So I I do think that they will have the opportunity for quality wins. Let's remember, though, that last year in this first playoff poll, Tennessee was number one. Tennessee was number one because of the resume that they had to this point, and Georgia does not have the best resume in terms of quality wins, in terms of, you know, the blowout wins and all that stuff too. So I think I'm leaning like 60-40, Ohio State will be number one and Georgia will be number two because Ohio State has the Penn State win and they went on the road and beat Notre Dame. A Notre Dame team that I realize has multiple losses. They're out of the playoff conversation, but still kind of like two wins that are better than than Georgia's best win. You would say that, yeah. even as a Penn State like kind of hater that I am. Oh, at certain points. No, and me too. And I think like, and okay, I know this is not what you're supposed to do, but mentally, I'm just like, could you imagine this Georgia team playing Penn State? It would dismantle them. I mean, we're not even sure Penn State's better than Florida. Honestly, what have they shown us? At least Graham Burt's going to cork it sometimes. So like, you that's know, my thing. Is like, uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think Penn State. I think Penn State would win because I think that they would probably shut down Florida's ground game. That's a <laughs> Look, Florida's ground game has been wildly inconsistent. That's been kind of the frustrating thing. So yeah. I think that would happen, but 
could I say that with my chest with a lot of confidence after yeah. what they just did pussyfooting against my alma mater on Saturday? That's what I'm saying, bro. <laughs> but yeah. as like a right, you're not supposed to do that as a red career. Like that, that I get it. So, I mean, but my thing is, you know, I, I think, and I've said it over and over again, Georgia's at that point after back-to-back championships, chasing Minnesota from the thirties right now, where it's like, you have to beat them. They have to lose. You can't have some neutral thing happen where, oh, we beat Rutgers worse than you beat, you know, Tennessee or not Tennessee, but we're, you know, Kentucky. Okay, whatever. You know, it's like, I think that if you're in that driver's seat and you've done nothing but beat everyone in front of you and destroy the best teams in your schedule, I don't think you should be hopped. Yeah, look, I, I, I have, that's why I have no problem putting Georgia at number one for that exact mm-hmm. point that you just brought. The 25 game win streak is ridiculous. Okay. Like it's, it's truly impressive to think about how long this run has, has lasted. And even if they lose another game, it won't take away from how impressive this has been. I just kind of think the selection committee will have an easier time justifying that because Ohio state has the quality wins. And if you're saying, well, you can't put Ohio state above Michigan. Like, yeah, you can, because this, this year, like, so you're just going to use two years. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so can we, do you want to talk about that real real quickly here? Yeah. Wait, um, wait, wait. Before you do that, wait, wait, wait. Hey, how long is Ohio State's win streak? Ohio State's win streak is what? Uh, what is it at? Like it's at eight right now. Right? Yeah. Who's so, the last time to beat them? Who's the last team to beat them? Yeah, Georgia's the last team to beat them. <laughs> that's about yeah. like all right. Anyway. Okay. So yes, you, let's you would do it. But okay, so you could have done the same thing last year though with with Georgia and Tennessee. Been like, all right, well, when was the last time that Tennessee beat Georgia? Tennessee was still ranked ahead of Georgia in that first playoff poll because of the resume. That's how I would justify. Fair, that. fair, fair, fair. So okay, the Michigan thing. This is going to be talked about ad nauseum. Um, how in the world should the selection committee rank Michigan? We were kind of we we disagree on on this premise. Well, I do think that this is going to be. Super awkward for Michigan with with the Spygate stuff, it, especially if they win a national championship or something like that. It's just instantly going to have an asterisk. In my in my opinion, it would also be more impressive if they went on to win a national championship with how closely people are going to be locked into their potential science dealing, all that stuff, how hypersensitive right. everybody will be. Um, so the, the selection committee's job is not to decide which reports and which accounts from coaches are valid and which ones aren't right. Right. It's not the selection committee's job to say, well, I read this report from Dan Murphy in ESPN about this D three coach who said this, and I'm going to take that. I'm just going to not rank Michigan. I'm just going to say they don't have a chance. They don't have to be judge, jury, or an execution executioner. I butchered that, Mm -hmm. whatever, because Either the Big Ten can step in if it really wants to. And if it really, that would be a different kind of Big Ten cannibalization that we've never had. No team has ever, no conference has ever had to experience before. But the Big Ten can step in and say, hey, we're going to say that you're not, you're, you're not able to compete for postseason, blah, blah, blah. And that would create a war that would be unbelievable. And that could be like the death of Michigan and the Big Ten. Like that's the type of rift that something like that would cause. But they wouldn't do I, that I to themselves. Like, I get it. Yeah. Right. No, that, that's a good point. That's like unsalvageable. If you cost you one of your biggest teams, you know, arguably your biggest team, a chance for a championship, and you just cannibalize yourself. They wouldn't do that. It's a really good point. Yeah. Especially like the conference that, that is sitting there with uh, two national championships in the 21st century. Yeah. Two national championships in the 21st century. So that's, that's part of this. 
if the NCAA weighs in on this and says, hey, you're banned from a bowl, all right, boom, selection committee, easy job. But the selection committee doesn't have to factor that into the conversation. They can let all of that process, they let everything play out. So they're not just going to be like, oh, well, we're going to dock Michigan because of this entire investigation. And you know that that will be a question that Reese Davis has to ask, and it will be discussed every single ranking show. So just get ready for it. It's going to be a topic of discussion. We're probably going to hear the same answer said like five different ways, but that's kind of where I stand on this. And as much as it feels like, oh, you shouldn't put Michigan in there because of this massive cheating investigation that we're talking about that could have impacted this current team. And if they're stealing signs against Rutgers for crying out loud, then why are we giving them a chance to be able to compete for a national championship? There is still a part of this where you have to let it play out if you're the selection committee, because you're not doing your own investigation. Other people are doing that. And that's what's going to determine your path. Yes. No, I totally agree with you. Okay. Let me say this first. So I don't laugh about it in the middle of my sentence. Did you hear LSU said that they had information that Clemson had their signs in the 2019 championship game? I've laughed about that once a day since I heard it. It's like, well, they they had the throw to Joe Burrow, throw from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase play. So you can have that play all you want, actually. It's working has, in the NFL. Has there ever been a team where that has mattered less? Seriously. <laughs> what they're going to do that. is they're going to throw the ball to Jamar Chase. <laughs> AJ Trail is going to be blanketed all over him because you might know the play. doesn't matter. Clyde Evangelier is going to make three dudes miss that are in the right position. <laughs> yeah, but, Joe, Brady's, uh, Joe to, Brady's there. He just like looks dead into the camera from the booth and Joe Brady is just mouthing exactly what the play is. And he's like, okay, go stop Jamar Chase. Go stop Justin Jefferson. Ah, we might just dump it off to Clyde Edwards-Lair and he's just going to pick up 22, like – Good luck. Have fun with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here are our plays, actually, brother. You can have them. (laughs) Anyway, back to Michigan. I think um, so in a way, you know, I want to be like, okay, well, you know, all of their stats are uh, asterisk now, right? Especially with the way that they play football. We talked about McCarthy not really playing a ton of fourth quarters because they control the game. That was where the usage of game control. And that's what's been so impressive about about Michigan, specifically this year and over this run until they get to the playoff, right? Um, Is that they just kind of suffocate these teams. And that specific style obviously lends itself to, okay, well, what would it be like if these, if this is legitimate, which, okay, I hate to do this to you as a journalist. I'm so sorry, but based on everything that you read, because I know you're more dialed into me, how likely is it that like this stuff is or is not true in your opinion, based on what we know right now? Like, I'm not going to hold you through this based on right now. Oh, well, it's extremely likely. It's extremely likely. Mm -hmm. There's, if they have this much, this much of like a, a response to, to like where there's smoke, there's fire with all these different people coming out and saying, yeah, this, this has actually been the entire process. And they've been so unbelievably, what's the word, like brazen about all this yep. stuff and just unwilling to hide. Yeah, like, of, of course, there is probably a degree of truth to it. Now, you still have to figure out what exactly that degree is, how far this extends, what was done over the course of, of this time. And how long has this been going on? Is this just as simple as, oh, we could pinpoint the exact start and stop date that it was being done in this way? And I understand sign ceiling's been done forever and everybody has their variation of doing it, but doing it in this highly illegal way with electronics and with the use of that. A paper trail. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The paper trail, the Venmo trail, the LinkedIn trail, whatever you want to call it, like the 500 page document trail, whatever it is. That that stuff, you still have to figure out what all that looks like. So, yeah, I think it's extremely likely that that something like this shows Michigan broke rules and they're they're very likely going to face punishment for it. 
Yeah. And so, it, well, it's, it's two things, right? It's like as much as I would love to punish them right now. And like, you know, if I was, you know, the Lord of college football, would I drop them down in the 15s and say, figure it out? Sure. But you're right. That's not going to happen. What becomes so interesting from here on out is, okay, now they obviously can't steal signs anymore because everybody's going to be on their asses. <laughs> so the question is, okay, you put a line in the sand from when this really broke and you can compare the before and after teams, right? And if you could start to say, okay, and I know teams, like the wheels fall off teams all the time for different reasons. I get it. You could even argue the scandal caused it more than what was actually happening. I get it. But if this team suddenly just starts stinking and they start like not controlling these games, you see McCarthy has to play in the fourth quarter and we get to see what that looks like. And you, you very clearly can tell there's a line in the sand of this was pre-sign stealing or at least pre-scandal and this is after I think that will fix itself because either this team will continue playing at this super high level and you go, all right, well, now we know they're not stealing signs and they're still elite. This is cool. I'm with it. And that doesn't help us right now because we don't have any sample yeah. size there. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think it's, it's going to be pretty hard to like play Ohio state and steal their signs this year. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Right. The, Ohio state will have somebody that is hired to watch Michigan's sign stealing. That is that mm-hmm. is a position that is just being invented by Ryan Day, probably as we speak. Shout out to Desmond Howard oh. for again providing totally unbiased analysis on college game day. I really respect what Desmond Howard has to say about this. I know he's coming from a place of neutrality. I love it when he says stuff like, you know what? I feel so bad for the kids who are clearly on the wrong end of this. Ward Emanuel, he the athletic director. He's a former player. He's going to get to the bottom of this. He's going to make sure that nothing, nothing fishy happened. Uh, Desmond Howard just continues to uh, blow me away with his correct opinions and about a matter that's clearly something that he's he's passionate about. I can see he's coming from the right place and he has very good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let me say this real quick. When I went to uh, that Georgia game with Perry at this, this st- two things struck me about this Michigan thing. The first thing was, okay, Perry's sitting there. He's like, yeah, man, like his seats are so good at, at UGA. They're like at the 50 yard line or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I this is as close as I can get because this dang, Tent Kirby keeps pitching. I'm like, what? They have like this massive, I mean, like 300 Xerxes style, huge tent that covers the sideline. And when their offense was in front of us, we couldn't see because it, it was so big. Yep. And he's like, dang, you know, Kirby's so paranoid that we were like joking about like, saving coaching tree. They think he was stealing their signs. Well, they were. <laughs> so he was right. I owe you an apology. I was not familiar with your game. The second thing is, you know who I also thought about the other day? Josh Gaddis, the dude that went from Michigan to Miami and immediately just turned into a pumpkin. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, he didn't have the signs in Miami. Yeah, Josh Gaddis needed to get like a Nevin Shapiro. I, I keep associating those like Connor Stallions with Nevin Shapiro in my mind. And that's yeah. probably not fair, but the the vibes, very different purposes in terms of uh, their role within a university, in terms of being investigated, all those different things. Uh, mm-hmm. But I keep thinking of those two and the the co that coinciding with Josh Gaddis and kind of his mm-hmm. fall from grace is uh, what I thought was an emerging offensive mind for a bit. Yeah, uh, that that does kind of add up and make a little bit of sense. Uh, but yeah, this discussion is going to continue throughout the rest of the season and just get ready for it. Brace yourself for it. That's why we we're talking about it uh, today ahead of the first college football playoff ranking of the season. We have a big pod lined up for the middle of the week. Plan right now is both Bear Felica, our good friend. Uh, who's going to break down probably some Heisman stuff. We're going to get into some futures, kind of the way this this season has gone. And then first-time guests, Matt Liner lined up for midweek. So that'll be fun. We'll talk about uh, a lot of things, I'm sure, related to Caleb Williams and quarterback play uh, this season. If you have not 
leave us a five-star review, subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter at the SCS pod, at Set Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks guys. Talk soon.